us here, God, and just thank you for it, that the word would come like a sword from his mouth, God, and it would pierce the deepest places of us, God. We just bless him, and we open the door to this word today. We open our hearts to this word today, and we thank you for your, your spirit, the anointing that rests on us, and we receive it in Jesus' name. already came forth, so have a great day. See you next week. Now, there, it, it's, I try not to have a social aspect to it, but it's just, um, everything that comes out of my mouth is a blessing to the Lord, because it, it's a, it's a, like a fullness type of feeling, because what you've got is corruption, right? The Holy Spirit
the time, no matter how small our local church is or how big it is, no matter where it is or when it is, right, we are his people, and, and we are giving attention to him, saying, God, wow, wait a minute here. I, I want to be in on this. I, I want to be walking with you. I want to be talking with you. I want to give my life to you. I want to serve your purpose in my generation, right? Amen. Yeah, my, my heart's so full, but your heart, the, the heart of his people who are saying yes to him is full right now. It's getting filled up, right? We're going to demonstrate and display something we haven't yet for ages and generations. We're going to display something we haven't yet, but that because we haven't yet, I think there's a lot of us who have said, well, I guess it's just not for us. We're not going to see it. I'm just here to, to I want to dust that off. We're, we're, we're going to see something in our day. Uh, make no mistake about that. We're going to see something. This, this call to say yes is getting more and more real as time changes, as the days go on. It's a day to say yes, to get engaged and giving everything. Uh, I wanted to do a few things before I begin this announcement here. I do have a word. But I had a few things I felt I needed to do first. And one of them was at our Christmas service, you know, um, I just want to explain that a little. If you've never received a word or, or a prophetic word, um, you know, I, I had faith uh, in the room. I felt the Holy Spirit was here just to, to activate people's destinies and gifts and callings and destinies and promises. Right, like how he hovered in Genesis 1 over the surface of the deep and God spoke into the depths of creation and everything began to come forth and come into order. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes with that gift. And I'm not infallible. I'm very fallible. Right? I'm very fallible. But he's infallible. And in the church age, the gift of prophecy, it says we prophesy in part. Meaning sometimes we're totally missing. Even even if the heart bent on sincerity and just wanting to edify and love God's people and encourage, sometimes you miss it. Or sometimes half of it's on, half of it's off. But that's okay. You can grow in your knowledge of the church. And that gift operates by faith. My faith isn't perfect, but I but I had to step out and grow and overcome the fear of man, right? So I say that to say this. Maybe some of those things didn't fit with you. That's okay. Pray about it. Put it on the shelf. Pray about it. Maybe some of those things brought some boredom in. Talk to God about that. Right? Put that one on. Wear it. Walk in it. Get ready. Or some of it really is prophetic, meaning it's for the future. And it's yet to actually come to pass. And so you're thinking, man, we missed that one. Maybe I did, but maybe I didn't. Right? So put that on the shelf, but don't throw it away. Put that on the shelf. Because I know the first time I ever received prophetic ministry as a Christian, I was 18 years old. We were in Vermont, youth, the youth camp church. And this man, whom now I regard as a true prophet, didn't just have a prophetic gift. This man was an office of a prophet, a five-fold prophet. He spoke true words of prophecy to me that weren't until now. I'm talking the last few years of my life, last five years of my life in particular. So he spoke, uh, let's see, 15, 16 years down the road about my life. And I wrote this man off when he gave me those words. 
to this day and call it a prophet. That word is not from God. I will never be in business. I certainly will never have political influence because I'm not a career man. I'm a five-fold minister, and I'm going to be in ministry the rest of my life, and for me, ministry is going to look like this, right? I had all this thing. So for a decade goes by, and I'm still arguing with the Holy Spirit through this man. That's when you know God's called you to that thing, if you're arguing with it, if it's bothering you. Don't ever say you won't do anything, because that very thing you're likely to do. Trust me. I thought this guy was loose. He was spot on. That man read my life story 15 years down the road. I am walking in the sentences that he said to me that day. Profound. just wanted to say that. Those words are meant to encourage, and hopefully they will accurate in some way and help you become aware of what's in you that God wants you to cooperate with and walk in. The other thing I want to say before I speak is I've been carrying this in my heart for a while is, man, I am standing in a room full of leaders. I'm standing in a room full of leadership, tall, anointed, brave for the land, for the church, but for the world, for the harvest particularly. Right? We don't see this great harvest in here, but you see a room packed full of leaders right now, five-fold ministers, all this whole room. We saw it this morning when Rob got up to share the story. He's a leader. He's a minister. This is unmistaking. It's all over him. It's all over all of you. Everyone in this room is a leader. It's profound. Landon, you're a leader. You are a leader, man. God's called you. You're included. Bowen, Kiara, you too. Kayla, and I've called her Bria. But there's leadership all through this room, and it, it's saying something to me, and it needs to say something to all of us, that God is preparing us for a harvest. That's what leaders are for. That's what laborers are for. We're here for harvest. We're here to tend a crop. We're here to harvest a crop of souls, equip, train, and mobilize them in this region that we would see something marvelous take place, right? He's getting us ready. He's get, is he getting you ready? Are you being prepared in your heart, in your paradigm, in your spirit like never before? I am. Are you being challenged like never before? I am. Are you being stretched like you've never been stretched? I am. Oh, my goodness. I, this has been such, this has been the best year for, for us. I hear so many people complain about 2020, and please don't misunderstand me. That's not my story. And I want to tell you, if that's been you, just step back for a minute, analyze what God's done in your life, and tell me it's not been the best year by any stretch, by any grace. Even in Yukon, what has been the best year of my spiritual life? Because of the vulnerability that this year brought, because of the standstill that it brought, and the pause on life as we've defined it, in his redefining things, right? Getting our attention, preparing us from the inside out. That's Ari Zakaria's lesson, Sharp Tools. But man, has this been a profound year. 
right? Stretching, still stretching, fiery fire, but in the, it's been two extremes. It's been such dramatic trying of my faith, as things happened to some of you recently. And on the other extreme, such dramatic blessing and growth and spiritual development and breakthrough in the spiritual and natural realm of my life. It's like, wow, God, in the midst of utter weakness, his grace is sufficient. In the midst of utter weakness, his power is perfected in me. So I look back over the last 12 months, I'm like, I was a weak, I was so weak, I just started to say yes to God in a way I never had before. We started praying in March together here, crying out to God in weakness. He's doing something amazing. And you know, when I got married, I shared this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures because it's my life story. I've wept over it many times. David said, the Lord is for me among those who are with me. The Lord is for me among those who are with me. We never advance in the kingdom without the help of those around us, without mutuality of love and support and security, people we can lean on and, yes, depend upon in the grace of God, right? This year, I couldn't have gotten through this year, this season, without the encouragement of many It was just just a, a, the parental anointing. I saw that my when, when I was just ready to lose heart about ministry and take, you know, when he started to shift the Stanglehouse House of Prayer Center, I just weak. All I could do was say yes. What I had prayed for and labored for in secret, God was now making public. And, and yet I felt I couldn't even do it. I didn't want it. I wanted to walk away. I wanted to even say, I don't want this responsibility. I don't want to walk in this kind of faith because I never have. And I've been an infant drinking milk, and you want me to eat some steak, some solid food. This is tough stuff. I'm just telling you, this has been tough. My faith has been shook, but he supports us, and he surrounds us with the body, the family, right? The called out ones in Ecclesia. And we're fighting this thing together. I'm not alone in this. I felt it. One more thing I do want to do before I share this word, because I feel like just a few things got pulled out of the way. So I want to share this, too. Last thing I felt to do this morning was to just say this. If you have been prophesied over in this room falsely and unhealthily, God has spoken words over you. Someone has spoken words over your life and has called it prophetic. And all it did was bring fear, condemnation, guilt, self-consciousness. If it disabled you, 
you know, 14, 15 years old, snorting heroin, RSF jackets, just want to be real. If I didn't snort those pills, I'd throw up from uh, uh, recovery, withdrawal. Is that real? I was addicted. No hope. In and out of programs, calling doctors, psychiatrists, you name it, and none of them could set me free. Led to further hopelessness and despair, despondency for my parents as well. For my parents as well. I, I remember the day when I thought there was absolutely no hope for Joseph Robinson. And it was the day I saw my stepdad first cry. And he cried for me because we called a hospital in hopes that they would take me in as inpatient programming. And because it's such a system in the business nowadays, they denied me access. Hopeless. I'll never forget that day I saw my stepdad cry. Never. So my parents had to ask me to leave the house as a teenager because I was such a mess. I didn't drug, didn't drink, didn't level up on anything but pills and pills and filled up on tears and filled up on like spent money with crack tobacco or something that ate my brain out and broke the jaws of life out of me. Long story short, uh, 18 years old, I had to go live with a woman that my biological father was in the middle of divorcing. She got born again. She didn't want to change me. Right? She did. We two were friends that you could probably to leave <laughs> so she did but she let me live with her on one condition her name was Margaret she let me live her with her on one condition that I go to church with her every Monday night and Sunday morning uh, I'm sorry every Tuesday night and every Sunday morning I never go to church so I did what was I going to do have to go to a psycho and have to have to get massages and listen to a counselor and have to go to counseling and have to have surgeries and nope no hope nothing hope so I lived with her for over a year, and uh, she still turned me out on one condition. Tell everyone in this room I showed you that night that I was a mess, that I cried for her, that I wanted her to die, that I wanted her to kill herself. Right? Tell everyone in this room I showed you the relationship that I had inside of me. I was embarrassed for them. That's the truth. I was embarrassed for these people. And in my condition, I'm the one embarrassed for them. What is this? Who is this Jesus thing? Who is this? What's that? This guy running around, this girl waiting outside. This dance team comes up on stage. I'm like, what is this? Some kind of Broadway show? Holy spirit. And um, months go by. That's how I felt. I, I wore my baggy jeans and my Timberland boots, thought I was a gangster, and I was just a big fool. I didn't know who he was. Didn't know who I was. Trying to fit in and belong where I wasn't. I was never meant to be. I had no other paradigm. Didn't have an identity. I'll have to make my own. What's he doing down there? Right? Very habitual. Long term. So months and months go by, and I'm sitting there. the 
I didn't have any framework or paradigm for what that meant. Right? I was unscathed. I remember asking the guy in the back room when he was giving me the booklets and all the things you get when you get saved these days, right? All the one, two, threes and ABCs. And I don't even, I don't even know how to read. I, I can't read them, dude. I had one question for him. I'll never forget this. I said, I was so nervous. I'm like, you know, uh, what am I joining here? What am I doing? Why am I in this bathroom just talking to somebody? God just slammed me on the floor and poured an ounce of snot tears, a puddle of snot tears, just weeping and wailing and groaning. I just said to Uncle Sam, I said, I said, no, you don't need to get saved every Sunday. That settled it for me. I said, all right, I don't know how this works, but I know I'm probably going to screw up, right? So I share that story, first of all, so all of you in this room who don't know me do know who I was and how I got saved. Except for to that woman in the corner working in the living room. It's faithfully crazy. I got born again on her birthday. What a birthday gift. Her son got saved on her birthday. What a birthday gift. And I didn't know it was her birthday the day I walked into that church. I had been up for three days doing cocaine and drinking alcohol. For three days I was a mess. 18 years old. I walked in, the son jumped me on the front door. He's like, dude, you're crazy. I walked into church in that condition with a Bible in my hand thinking something was real for the prior year. Being no good. I'd go with my friends partying and have the Bible in my hand every Friday night in church. With the keys was there. The Holy Spirit was testifying in my conscience that Jesus Christ is the living one. And he was dead, but he ain't anymore. And he does have the keys of death and Hades because he's breaking stuff off my life. That's all authority. Yeah, hypocrisy. But sincerity. Sincerity was there. Believe. Walk into church in that condition, got saved, got born again. His son did. The time goes on, and it was time for transformation, right? It was time for renovation in my life that had been So what was amazing to me as time went on is coming to the realization that God had a destiny for my life, a plan, a purpose, right? A destiny, 2 Timothy 1.9, you read it. God who saved us and called us, saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works. According to his own purpose and grace, hear that. Your destiny, your calling is according to his own purpose and grace that is granted to you in Christ from all eternity. Right? Think about this just for a minute. I know I'm talking and I'm not motivational today, but track with me here because this isn't. Flesh can't stir you in this. Listen, 
hear this truth. Psalm 139, before I was in my mother's womb, before sexual violations, before drug addiction, before post-traumatic stress disorder because of my drug overdoses, before my anxiety disorder, right? Before all these things in eternity past, before the world was formed, there was grace and purpose in Christ for my life awaiting for me to be formed in my mother's womb, uniquely crafted and preserved as a human life in my mother's womb, divinely orchestrated and pre-planned by God. Think about that. Do, Do you know that story about your life? Do you know God had you in mind before the world was? Do you understand God is the everlasting Father, the eternal Father? He's the originator of all the living. He's the Father of all creation in the heavens, on the earth, and under the sea. He gives life and breath to all things. But you being made and crafted in the image and likeness of God as a human being had a destiny and a foreordained purpose. Before he begins creating man, he's already got it in his heart. Man is in the heart of God before he forms him of dust of the ground. The purpose for your life, the destiny. David sees this in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is, is just, it's, it's all of our lives. This psalm is a theology of destiny. Human life value, destiny, purpose, foreordination, predestination. This psalm declares to us that God is a father. And before time began, he had divine purpose in his heart. He thought of Joseph Robinson. David says, my mind is blown. This knowledge is so high, David says, I can't comprehend it, that God's thoughts for me before time began outnumber the grains of sand that are by the seashore. Think about that. The divine purpose of your life. Landon, the divine purpose of your life. Owen, Colin, pre-planned, written down. David calls it a scroll. He says there's a scroll in heaven with my name on it. And God let me look into it. And it's accurate. It's actually happening. It's real. He gives me dreams. He sends someone to encourage me. He testifies in my conscience as to the meaning and purpose of my life and what I'm to be doing with it. He said it's real, right? There's such an invitation in this psalm to understand that about your life. This is either some fallacy or it's the infallible testimony of Scripture. This is some poetic intellect of David. Or it's the Holy Spirit of God resting on a man to testify to all the future ages and generations of God's people that God has a scroll for every life. And therefore, life begins at conception because he already foreordained the light of life from him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is some fallacy, and we yawn at it. Or it's a testimony of life 
to all who would believe and were struck and revived by it. My God, blow my mind. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. We cannot attain to it. We need revelation. We can't attain to it. I'll give you good revelation. That's what David's saying here. Listen, if there is a scroll for your life with divine inscriptions on it, sentences, think about this, sentences written by the Father for my life, how could I be born? That's what I said in 2020. How could I be born? I've read this psalm for years and at times it stirs me. But I'm struck by this. There are things written by the Father, the God of all creation, about my life? Are you kidding me? I live in Huron, Maine. I have a business in Bangor. Now I'm moving to Brewer. I go to church in Carmel. My little life, my 15-mile radius. And you've got something he said about it, not just something physically about it. He's not figuring this thing out along the way. But he's had it pre-inscribed. I'm walking in the sentences of my destiny. You're walking on the letters of the sentences in the chapter of the book. That's either real or it's a fallacy. It's real. He's not a liar. He's a father. Do you know how many aspirations and desires I have for my little girl? I love her. I have deep, heart-swelling aspirations and thoughts about her life. Some of them are accurate. Some of them won't be, but that's okay. It's love. Right? How much more him? He made this image and likeness. That's what he's like. And he wrote those things down and wrote something down because he knew the price he's paying to bring it to pass. He knew the price he paid for the boy who was violated, who took it all the drugs and alcohol and immorality. Right? He stumbled into church, used his prayers and faithful woman got born again, PTSD, anxiety disorders, drug addiction, an unclean spirit in my life, all those things. He bore all of that. It's too late. It was already written. He would bring it to pass because he's my father. He's brought me home to himself. He began unfolding the pages of that book. And there's seasons of life where he takes the scroll, right? Jesus has a scroll. Jesus has a destiny as a man that's still being unfolded right now. The glorified Jesus of Nazareth in a glorified body at the right hand of the Father. Man, that, this, this I've wept over. Do you know that Jesus has promises from the Father that aren't fulfilled yet? Think about that. There's still chapters of Jesus' book that... He hasn't walked in yet. Think about it. The great harvest hasn't come in. Matthew 13, he taught about that destiny of his. He says, I'm going to swing a sickle over the earth. I'm going to reap the nation's harvest. Hasn't happened yet. He's waiting for it. He ever lives to make intercession. The church fully matured without spot or wrinkle hasn't happened yet. But that's his destiny. He died for you to be without spot or wrinkle. He has, his wedding day hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. You can be assured of it. He shed his blood. 
he will receive the bride without spot or wrinkle, washed by his blood. Those who believe, you say yes. He's got promises that he's eager, he's waiting for. He says, I don't even know the day or the hour, but the time and season I know, and let me tell you about it. I don't want to go down that road, so I'll be there for three hours. You read it in red letters. He tells us about that time and season. Looks a lot like it, doesn't it? But there's seasons of our own life where he takes our soul, like he does in Revelation chapter 5. That's his soul. That's his destiny. To rule the nations with a rod of iron. To rule the nations with the church who becomes his wife. Right? And he begins breaking the seals off of the church. How he's to lead over all nations and make the West profoundly mind-blown. And three visitors, the book of Revelation. I used to study it for years, and then I just said, it just amazed me. I'm like, my mind's blown by this stuff. And there's seasons of your life where you take your soul and you begin breaking seals off of that to read it, to discover that season of your life and walk in it. I'm in a season like that. I'm saying, so are all y'all. Be aware of it. It's a new season. We've said this for so long, and it's true. But I feel like right now it's real true. It's kind of like the difference of, oh, it's a new season, and you've got that chapter in your hand, but the seals aren't broken yet, but it's there in your hand. You know, it's a new season. Something's coming, something's coming, a new season. Then all of a sudden, he breaks the seals off the chapter, and you open it up, and you start reading those chapters, and your mind is blown like, that is a totally different season right now. Right now. Right now. It is time to freshly discover the bride on her throne. And get unashamedly before him. There are unique dynamics and specifics that no one but you can walk in apart from him. He believes that. He foreordained worlds for me that I would walk in them. Ephesians 2. Right? I'm convinced when Paul wrote a few of his chapters, he was reading Psalm 41 by the Spirit. And he's understanding more how this conversation between the Spirit of God and man and those who are born again and those who say yes, those who take the scroll and begin to break the seals by obedience to God and walk in the pages of divine destiny, the dream of God for your life. Think about that. If I have dreams and aspirations for her, think about it again. Does she have aspirations and dreams for your life regardless of age and status? Yes, yes, he determined your life value in in eternal councils, what the theologians call it, the theologians, right? The eternal councils of God that you are discussed, you are discussed, D-I-S-C-U-S-S-E-D, discussed. You are talked about. Think about that for a moment. It's mind-blowing, but this is real. That's what we're saying yes to. It is time to take you seriously. Hey, the time's overdue. You're, you're, the day is late. The hour is short, Paul said. He died for my sake. And now it's really short. The time is short. I want to say yes. I want to break the seals off my destiny. I don't want to move forward disconnected, reading a different book that he didn't write. 
I want to read my soul. I'm so jealous. I'm so weak, too. I can't do it. I almost passed out as a new Catholic. Sister taught me Ruth 1 and 2. Little did she know I spent two months in that Catholic receiving confession. It's such a prophetic confirmation. I was like Zechariah. I felt the sweet words of doubt over the phone. Confession, right? Flattery's a deception. It's dangerous. Shut his mouth. Shut your receiver. I shut my mouth. time to waste, no time to waste, and I'm facing you, Lord. There's no time to waste. I'm so jealous. I feel so vulnerable right now in my life. To, to like, anything could happen at any moment. He could require something more of me, and I couldn't even say no. I'm just ready to drop dead. That's how I feel right now. I feel like the, the, uh, the rich young ruler. I've said this to some of you. The rich young ruler goes to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do, right? He says, do this. And because the rich young ruler had too much going on, other plans, and loved other things too much, what does he do when Jesus gives him the answer? And that was a sincere answer. Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus had love for the rich young man. Do you know why? Psalm 139 is why. The rich young man had a soul young man had a destiny and he goes to Jesus to inquire about it because his heart loved other things and loved himself too much. Jesus tells him about his destiny and he says, huh, it's going to cost me that much to walk with you? Oh, you mean I've got to give up A, B, and C? Wait a minute. I didn't know this was going to cost me dirt, require loss, struggle, shake my life. I've got to become vulnerable to your perfect example so that I say yes? Really? I don't I can't even imagine it. I'm walking the walk. Yeah, and so how? How did you do it? Do you know that I'm not saying he's not in heaven? But see here he's never got no Catholic soul. He gave him up for the bowl of soup, like Esau. He loved something else other than his birthright. That's a hard word. I'm not trying to be hard. Conversation you ought to get that room and, and walk with that kind of pastor when you get there. You get there thinking, hey, here's what God's doing. I'm excited to hear it. Man, I'm getting wet. You get wet in heaven. I'm excited to hear it. I'm going to walk with you for a little bit. He was satisfied with other things. It's so easy to be satisfied. I think that's the greatest mystery of all. The Bible says that Jesus said to him, the love for other things is killed by your own.
Hebrews 11, it means they're accountable to the stars. I'm encouraging you guys today to keep staying close to the stars. Who's worth it all? And we have a great cloud of witnesses, one woman, young adult, who went on before us, even under the Old Testament, who said yes to God was absolutely everything. They went about and sheep skinned, goat skinned, being destitute, conflicted, living in caves and holes in the ground, living as in a foreign land of strangers and exiles on the earth? How? Because by the spirit of prophecy, they were giving testimony to a future day, right? But we aren't here for now. And therefore, we aren't living our best life now. Obviously, they did. They sure didn't live their best life now. They lived for the age to come. Jesus said many prophets and wise men and wise women longed, longed, did not see, and to hear the things you hear, but did not hear. He said they spent their whole lives, Hebrews 11, and didn't see the day they were living for. Sounds like a waste, right? Chapter 11 ends saying that they were nothing already. Jesus said to his disciples, right, I've sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. You're being special. Prayer, worship throughout all the ages, Hebrews 11. But you're living in a day they saw. You're living in a day I showed them. You're living in a day that they gave everything to see, but they didn't see it. You see it. So take hold of this day, this church age, where God is bringing forth this called out community. We're it. You're it. We've got to say yes. Right? He says, therefore, in light of all that, cloud of witnesses, he says, let us also, let us also lay aside every precaution of life and all things, he says, lay aside all distractions, all things, so that you can run the race set before you. run and find it. 
Just keep giving, you know. 